What's up, everyone? This is episode number 36 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. And this is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on my social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Um, I know last week's episode was pretty short, so I released a 25-minute video on my YouTube this week showing off my NBA Finals collection. If you're interested in seeing that, just search Wax Museum Podcast on YouTube, and it should be one of the first results. Um, Before I jump in today, I want to attempt to tie up some loose ends from this past week. Um, To begin with, I I posted the news about BGS tracking serial numbers on my Instagram and Twitter. I'm sure some of you saw that. Those that listen to the show, you know that I've been working on this for a while. And I've said numerous times that throughout this whole process, I am looking for small, practical steps that grading companies and collectors can take to help reform the process. Now, most of the conversation on social media was pretty good. Um, I did have one response that I wanted to address, and this particular person had two comments that I want to address separately. So um, the first one, they said, tracking serial numbers is just going to tell you what happened and won't get to the root cause of the problem. There are also way more non-serialized cards than serialized cards out there, so I don't know what this will truly solve at the end of the day. End quote. Um, Okay, look, I agree that tracking numbers tells you something that has happened after the fact. Yes, I get that. Even if Beckett had been tracking the Curry RPA numbers, the damage would have already been done. Yes. Um, But also, this isn't a fix-all. And in my mind, the fact that a grading company is watching this stuff now and is tracking the numbers, to me, that functions as a major deterrent to this stuff happening again. It doesn't mean it won't happen but at least it could serve as some sort of a deterrent. So my work with this has almost been exclusively with serial numbered cards, so I'm looking for solutions that can help with that. Um, And I think if we can figure those out, aka the easier ones, because they do have clear identifying markers on them, literally a number stamped on them, then maybe we can even make headway on the non-numbered stuff as well. Um, And then the second reply from this person went as followed. They said... Base autos and base are where the real volume is at and those can never be tracked. The grading companies just need to be able to identify trimming better as they are the true gatekeepers here. Tracking serial numbers is a diversion from the real issue. Um, My reply to most of that would be a little repetitious, but I do want to address one sentence in particular where this person said the grading companies just need to be able to identify trimming better as they are the true gatekeepers here. Well... Look, that kind of circles us back around because I feel like them getting better at detecting trimming will only tell us what has already happened. Unless, of course, that detection functions as a deterrent for future trimmers and scammers as it should. Anyway, just something to think about. Um, Speaking of trimmers and patch swappers and all of that fun stuff, I want to talk about something else I ran into on, on an eBay search this week. Um, I have just kind of a patch search in general that I look at every day. And as I was scanning through this quickly, I noticed an Ike Diogu patch that stood out to me. Yes, that is Warriors 2005 first round draft pick. Yes, that is Ike Diogu, the Nigerian FIBA basketball legend. Yes, that is one-time pacer Ike Diogu, um, which by the way, I thought he would be the bright spot in a trade that I otherwise hated. 
real quick, just some background there. The Pacers were trying to um, clean up their image locally a little bit after the brawl in Detroit and a few other incidents. So they traded Steven Jackson, who I liked, Al Harrington, who I liked, and Sarunas Yesikavagis to the Warriors for Diogu, um, Troy Murphy, who I didn't like, and Mike Dunleavy. Um, there were a couple other pieces in that trade as well. Some of us Pacers fans still refer to it as the start of the awful Murph-Levy era. Um, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Anyway, um, we thought Ike Diogu might be a gem. He sucked. But he had some nice cards, including a 2005-2006 Upper Deck Exquisite Limited Logos patch autograph. Um, and that's what I saw on eBay this week. But the one that showed up on eBay looked really suspicious. Instead of a Warriors patch, it looked like it had one um, a piece of one of those parachutes that you might use in your PE class growing up. Um, or maybe a Ronald McDonald costume. It was bright gold and red. And I, I posted it on my Instagram. If you want to see it, it's still there. But it wasn't hard to track down the original. It took about 10 seconds on worth point. Um, as of 2016, at least, the card still had the original patch, which was nice, by the way. And like I said, I, I posted it. And the question I think I heard a couple of times, why would someone alter a patch of Nigerian FIBA legend Ike Diogu? And I'm paraphrasing a bit there, but... Um, and this is just a guess, but I feel pretty good about it. And I don't think it was about making a Diogu, a Diogu card better. You know, obviously it looks stupid now. This was all about harvesting a nice, large, uh, we believe Warriors era patch. And I took a limited logos patch I had at the house and compared the window size to a 2009 National Treasures RPA because I figured the goal here was to put it in a Curry RPA. The window sizes aren't exactly the same, um, but you know who knows, maybe they could find a way to stretch it out. Um, it could very well end up in a different Curry rookie patch card. So please be on the watch for that. Um, I've got pictures of all this stuff on my Instagram. The stitching between 2005 and 2009 are a little different, so hopefully if this happens, it can be detected. Um, and yes, I'm talking about it in hopes that this conversation serves as a deterrent from using it. All right, um, so moving on to the main topic for the day, we've been getting 2019-2020 products for a little while now. Um, I've talked about those a few episodes ago when I previewed the release calendar through Christmas, but this week finally marks the end of the 2018-2019 NBA product release calendar. And at this point, we're almost a month into the new season. I think it's crazy that we still have older products coming out. You know, this isn't new. This has happened in the past. I don't know if Panini has any intentions to fix this in the future. Either way, though, we've hit the end. Um, and I know there are some products out there that some people don't really think of as standalone products like the Panini sticker collection um, but I counted the Panini releases from this past season and the, the amount of actual mainstream releases and not subsets and so on was close to 30. Um, and then there were a few other products that weren't NBA releases or weren't officially licensed that people could purchase. There were repack products like Leafs Best of Basketball. There were multi-sport sets um, like Upper Deck Goodwin Champions. There was a WNBA set. There was a Big 3 set from Parkside. I actually won a pack of those on a Twitter contest, so um, thank you again for that, Parkside. And um, a lot of you guys, myself included, were out there buying Hanes shirts and briefs to get the Michael Jordan packs, the Fleer Michael Jordan packs. Don't act like you weren't. 
okay? Supposedly there were 10 autographs in that entire print run. I know someone on Facebook was offering a $1,500 finder's fee. That's on top of the actual cost of the auto itself, but I don't think we ever saw any of those. And yes, those cards were comically bad, and, and this is going to sound weird to some of you, but I thought it was nice to open a FLIR pack again and get that kind of that new card smell to get that crown logo again, you know, even if it was just a tease. And, um, you know, it, it was a fun year overall. There's never really a dull moment. We had some good rookies that helped move products, and they made things exciting. Some of you that are newer to this, Maybe, you know, you really haven't seen a year where we've had a bad crop of rookies. Trust me, it kind of puts a damper on the product releases no matter how new and fresh they are. Because at the end of the day, players drive products. And and more often than not, rookies drive those products. And that's nothing new. Panini knows that. That's why National Treasures, from an overall standpoint, was a dud. But people will only remember the chase for the rookies. Let me give you an example of a rough year in the hobby before we go on and we talk about 2018-2019. Now people are chomping at the bit to buy old um, 2013 boxes, but why? Well, the answer is obviously Giannis. Not Giannis and this guy, or not Giannis and that guy, it's simply Giannis. Look at the draft that year. Anthony Bennett's your number one pick. Um, Oladipo's number two. Neither of them did anything. Okay, And I love Oladipo, but it took him, you know, multiple years to get to where he is now. Now he's hurt. We don't even know what he'll be after this. Um, Otto Porter was number three. At the time, I remember people were excited about him. Um, And then there was kind of a clump of big men. You had Cody Zeller at four, Alex Lynn at five. No one cared about them then, and they still don't. Nerlens Noel was number six. He had a little bit of hobby love at the time. And then if I skip around a little bit, uh, C.J. McCollum and Giannis, they really weren't known commodities. Uh, Michael Carter-Williams debuted with an awesome game against the Heat, so that helped his stock because it was on national TV. It was against LeBron, so we chased him a little bit. But overall, it was, it was a really rough year for the hobby. Prism was only in its second year, and people weren't crazy about it yet. Um, and we got spoiled with the double class of rookies in the 2012 release. And and the point is here, the 2018 class, though, was not a dud. We figured out pretty early on that Luca and Trey might be worth following, and it made things pretty exciting. So what I want to do today is to take a look back at some of the highs and lows of the 2018-2019 release calendar. Um, I'm not going to mention every single product, but I will try and, and cover a lot of them and give a decent summary And then I want to close with a preview of the final product of the season, which is Flawless. Um, I'm recording this on a Thursday night, and the checklist came out earlier today. So we do know a little bit more about that now. I was hoping it would come out by the time I did this, and thankfully it did. Um, So let's let's come on and let's jump right in. So um, last year started off very similar to the 2019-2020 hobby season in that it began with a contender's draft product, uh, but in 2018, this was not a popular product. Um, I, you know, I just talked about how rookies can really drive a product. Well, Trey had had a very bad summer league. He hadn't quite, you know, gotten popular yet. He wasn't hitting game winners yet. Um, Luca Mania had to kind of percolate for a little bit before he took off. Also, he already had cards in an upper deck Euro league set. 
In other words, there really wasn't a mad rush to get into the new products and most certainly not with a draft product. Um, but about two months later, we ended up with Hoops, which was followed up by um, another low-end release in Donruss. Nothing out of the ordinary had happened at this point yet. There really wasn't anything crazy happening with the new cards at this time that I can remember. And so after Donruss, we had certified, but people were, um, you know, they were really waiting for what we got next week when we got Prism. And I've talked about Prism before. This is a set that seems to gain in popularity by the year. People were, um, when this came out, people were really hoping that we would see LeBron's first mainstream card in a Lakers uniform. That was not the case. Um, in fact, I consider the lack of a LeBron's Laker of, of a LeBron Lakers card in Prism to be one of the low points of the 2018-2019 hobby year. Um, you know, and I know you know we'd recover, we would get other LeBron cards, but I think they really missed the mark there. You know, get a photo shoot jersey, get something. Um, I know the the window is very short, but come on, Panini, you got to make it happen. They you know they delayed the product this year, surely. You know, maybe they could have delayed it for a LeBron card. I don't know. Uh, now, the LeBron silver craze hadn't quite taken off yet. And I remember passing on these silver LeBrons for $5 a piece at, at a local card show. Um, had this been a Lakers card, though, it would have been interesting to see how that would have added to the hysteria. But we didn't have to worry about that. And as you guys know, Prism was fun to chase at Walmart and Target. Uh, personally, I preferred hangers over blasters. I think my wife and I, we also did three or four mega boxes. Um, we didn't pull a lot of Luca, but when we did, she was the one that always pulled it. And even though other products were coming out in the months that followed, I, I looked back at my Instagram to kind of see what I was opening, and we were still picking up blasters at Walmart in March. In fact, we were chasing those Michael Jordan um Haynes cards at the same time. I think our final blaster was at the National in July, but there was no shortage of product over time. You know, I, it took us a while to find them, but once we did, there wasn't a shortage. And but you know, when you've got so many people buying baskets fulls and cartfuls of this stuff, the demand is high, and it's a really fun product. And um, you know, here I am now at the start of the 2019 season, and a few of the guys that I had kind of put in the scrub pile, they're playing really well. So that's one of the things that makes Prism enjoyable. It makes Prism fun. Um, so you know, overall, I would say that 2018 Prism was was a fun year, even though I get sick of seeing and hearing about it sometimes. Um, I mentioned that. Other products were still being released while we were chasing the shiny stuff, and that's products like Absolute. Um, Revolution, which by the way finally featured LeBron's first card in a Lakers uniform. Um, Contenders, Dominion, um, and Crown Royal. And then at the end of January, we got the other shiny product that people have really gravitated towards now, which was Optic. And unfortunately, I didn't pick up a lot of Optic at the time. And I tried to convince my wife that it was shiny like Prism, but in her words, it's not Prism. So we didn't pick up very much, maybe three to four hanger packs. Another reason that I didn't grab much is because the Mega Boxes had a set of uh, 50 of the Rookie Shock Parallels per box, and I didn't really want those, just like I didn't want the red and yellow and blue parallels that they had in the uh, 2017 and 2018 boxes. But uh, maybe I should have picked some up anyway. It's become really popular in the last couple of months, 
and despite the, the fact that it had a bit of a slow rise, there were always people that were excited about it at the release, but it's not even close to the level of excitement that we see for it now. And uh, unless you've been living under a rock over the course of the summer, you know that the LeBron Silver Hollow has shot up and hit ridiculous record sales. I've alluded to the fact that I think the card is very manipulated, um, and I hold to that still. I know these were selling for 10 or $20 raw when the product came out. I don't even know what it's up to now. I know at one point it passed the $700 mark for a PSA 10. But um, hyped or not, there are some very attractive qualities to the card. And I do want to give it credit for that. I, you know, I would love to own one, just not at the prices that it currently is at. For starters, um, I like the design. I like that it has an actual border. It reminds me of some of the Topps Chrome releases of the past. Uh, Prism never has. You know, we like Prism because it's got a little bit more history and brand continuity, but um, it's never really looked like Chrome. And um, in Optic, the Hollows this year were really, really nice looking cards in person. Um, there are a lot less of them than there are Silver Prisms. And then finally, the 2018-2019 set had some major centering issues. So a well-centered copy of the LeBron is likely to command a premium for those who are in the market for them. Should it be as high as it is right now? You know, who knows? Um, now, similar to the early LeBron prices, I felt like the rookie prices were all really low for the Silver Hollows. But sometimes all it takes is um, one card from a set to get hot, and then as a result... The other ones will heat up with it. Um, the rookies stayed low for a long time, though, but now um, there's a lot more. You know, now they're they're higher, right? Um, anyway, there's a lot more that could be said about Optic, but I want to keep moving through the release calendar. Um, so moving through February and March, we had Impeccable, we had Select, we had Cornerstones, we had Status. Um, I know a lot of people regarded status as one of the high points of the calendar. And I'm going to start by saying that I actually didn't pick any of this stuff up because I didn't like the color scheme at all. I thought they were very ugly cards. Um, I wish they looked different though because even though I didn't get any, I really, really liked the logistics of the set. Um, so for starters, status this year... Uh, it shifted to an all-retail release. And I like having a few retail-only releases because not everyone has a card shop in their vicinity. Um, you know, most card shops aren't open at, um, you know, late hours. It's nice to be able to go to Walmart and just grab some packs if you're grabbing, you know, some <laughs> bread or some food or some milk or whatever. Um, and then not everyone wants to spend hobby box prices on products. So, um, status, they had blasters, they had hangers, they had fat packs, which was typical of any retail release. Um, but there were 10 different parallels to the base set, and some of those were exclusive to each type of retail packaging, so there was an incentive to buy the different types. Um, the two parallels that I think are re really cool have um, some of the mirrored numbering that's similar to what I talked about in the Credentials podcast. That's the aspirations and the status parallels. Um, together they add up for each player to a print run of 100. And the status cards were numbered to a player's jersey number. Um, and then the aspirations made up the difference, whatever it needed to make 100. So let's say if you got a player like um, Ben Simmons, whose number is 25, 
So his status parallel would be out of 25. Um, the aspiration parallel then would be out of 75. And it, like I said, it changed according to what the player's number was. Um, there were also pursuit die cuts that were not numbered but were case hits. I really like non-numbered case hits. I think it adds to the mystery and the mystique of the product. It gives it a chase. You know, something different that we don't see a whole lot of anymore. And then, of course, there were some relics and autos in this set as well. I'm not a huge autograph guy, but I am a big fan of the Draft Night autos in this product. I've talked about these before, but but these are rookie autographs that are numbered to just 32 copies that were signed on Draft Night. And for a lot of bigger names, they have video of the guys signing these big stickers that they use to create the cards. But they're good-looking sticker autos for once. You know, they kind of embed them in the cards so they they look nice. Um, and let's say if you're a little uneasy about um, the possibility of someone signing for someone else. I talked about that in the uh, Luca's Mom episode, right? That whole controversy. Well, you can get one of these draft night autos that you know for a fact that was signed in front of a Panini rep on the night he was drafted. And that's a pretty cool piece of history to me. So overall, I think status was definitely a high point of the year. Um, after status, then we moved into April. April was full of highs and lows. On April 3rd, we got Court Kings. Um, it could it should have come out on April 1st because it to me it was a joke. This set was a major, major, major low for me. Usually this one comes out earlier in the year and it's one of my favorite releases. But um, this time, take everything that you really liked from Court Kings in the past. The rookie jumbo patches, the rookie nameplates, the box toppers, the game-dated materials, all that great stuff is all gone now. And the sell sheet boasts on-card autos, but there were a lot of stickers, and they looked horrible. You know, some of the, the Chromium products are able to kind of hide the stickers in the design. You can't do that on this canvas-like material. It just looks awful. Um, the autos that were on card that I normally really liked, which is a rookie set called Fresh Paint, they looked horrible. Um, they made blasters of this product, and it was bad. It just went completely downhill for me. If they don't fix it at this point, I wouldn't mind if it just disappeared for good. Okay, Either fix the product or get rid of it, replace it with something else. Um, the good thing about Panini, though, if you don't like a release, you don't have to wait long um, for the next one to come out and find its way to the market. So not long after that, we got both Threads and National Treasures. And before I um, recorded this episode, I, I tried to get some other opinions because I don't want the product, you know, the year in review just to be stuff I liked and stuff I didn't. So I asked some people on Blowout for some of their thoughts about the year, what products they liked, what products they broke, that sort of stuff. And one thing that really surprised me was just how much people liked threads this year. And I've opened some threads in the past, and I think I even opened, I think the first year for it was um, 2012, maybe it's 2013. Um, either way, though, I, I opened it in the past, and I remember the, the wood grain autos. I really liked the jersey die cuts. It's just like an insert that was just the shape of a jersey. It, but it wasn't really anything that I was ever really excited about opening, so um, I've kind of stayed away from it since. I always see these things on clearance, and that's kind of a red flag for me. So I asked for a little bit of clarification. Why did you like Threads so much? 
Well, the answer I got this year was for the Jersey Parallels. For those of you that aren't familiar with this product, it's not a memorabilia card, but these cards have a picture of a player jersey in the background. And this year it was either the Association jersey, the Icon jersey, or the Statement jersey. And then the player is pictured in front. And there are also Dazzle parallels for all three of these versions, so it makes for a nice variety. And I had several people mention those, so that was kind of a nice surprise from Panini. So that seemed to be a, a high product of the year for a lot of people. Um, two days after Threads, then we had National Treasures. I know I talked some about that checklist on another episode. Looking back, the bright spots to me um, were the rookie patch autos, the finals nameplates, and then the retro materials patches were really nice. I like those a lot. But um, overall, I felt like this product was a huge low in the calendar year. And I, I know that sounds crazy. You know, looking back, people are, are only going to remember the, the good parts of it. And uh, so it sounds crazy, as popular as the RPAs are. But for me, this was a low in, in that Panini could basically pump out a bunch of sticker autos in such a garbage product. It used to be good, but now it's such a garbage product and knowingly move it off just the reputation and the popularity of those RPAs. And, and people are all about the big gamble. I wasn't a big fan of it then. Um, even after some time has passed and I've seen some more stuff and I've thought about it more, I'm still not a big fan of it. But, you know, it is what it is. We still get the RPAs out of it. Um, May and June rolled around and we had four more releases. The last one of these, Chronicles, was a big hit in my mind. So this would definitely be a high for the year. And this product is a hodgepodge of past releases. It's very rookie heavy. There are a lot of base rookies. And um, I remember seeing people complaining on Facebook about how there's there's not a lot of resale value in this. Well, you know, sure, yes, I, I bought a hobby pack for $30. That was a kick in the gut, right? But if you went the retail route, this product was a lot of fun. You're not going to get rich off of it, but, you know, that's not what the whole hobby is about anyway. Um, you know, I, it's nice. It's fun to be able to, to pull a lot of rookies. Okay. Cause you, you like the idea of, you know, maybe I can stash these away. They're not worth much anyway. Maybe I'll stash them away. Kind of watch these players over time. You know, who knows? Um, but out of everything in there, I really like the obsidian previews. Um, as I've mentioned before, I was lucky enough to pull the Luca. And that one's staying in my PC. It's like a black chromium card. It's just a really nice looking card. Um, you flip it over, it says preview on the back. Okay. Um, after that, we had Opulence, which um, when I previewed that, I talked about how it would be a bloodbath. I still feel like it was a bloodbath with some really nice booklets. Um, you know, you guys know I like NBA Final stuff. That was in there. I still haven't gotten any of those on the secondary market. I figure I will over time. But um, not a hit in my mind. We had uh, Encased, which was a product where they can't even get Jim Mint cards straight from the factory. And um, there was Contenders Optic. And then we had Obsidian. Now, I mentioned we, I just mentioned that we had the previews of these cards in Chronicles, but this was a, a football brand that, you know, even with the preview cards, we didn't really know we were going to get this as a standalone basketball product as well. So that was a nice surprise for the year. Um, so to me, that's kind of a high point. This was an online release only 
on the Panini website. I didn't bust any of this stuff. Um, you know, I remember seeing a lot of sticker autos overall, but I, I think it looks like a pretty good product. I really like the look of the black chrome. And I talked to a couple of people not long ago who said, you know, it was one of their favorite products of the year. So like I said, that was a football product in the past. It will be interesting to see if it takes off in basketball going forward. Okay, so all that's left then in going through this release calendar. I know I moved pretty quickly, but there were a lot of products. All that's left um, is Immaculate and Flawless. And I mentioned briefly a couple weeks ago that Immaculate boxes looked brutal. I have been watching a lot of those being broken. Um, there's still a lot of nice stuff in there that I like. I wouldn't touch boxes at the price point, but... Um, there are quite a few really nice cards in there, unlike National Treasures. It wasn't just a sticker dump. Um, of course, I like the nameplates, you know, but if you haven't seen some of those shoe cards, those are truly incredible. So, yeah, it's still a, about, you know, the big gamble, but at least there, I feel like there's more um, quality stuff in here while you're taking that gamble, whereas National Treasures, it's just feast or famine. Okay, either you get that RPA or you don't. Um, now, then moving on to Flawless, though, we haven't seen box breaks yet, but we do have a checklist. Like I said, that came out earlier today. The suggested retail price that I've seen is listed at $1,500 a box. The sale prices I've seen, though, are probably more in the $2,000 and higher range. Previously, the product had seven autos per box. Well, this year we're going to get eight, as well as one relic and one diamond card, so that's 10 cards per box. And the way I understand it is that the base set has a diamond in each card and there were only 20 copies of each card. So um, these have been pretty desirable with past releases. I figure the rookies will command a hefty premium this year as well. However, there are only 21 different base rookies. And I just saw a box break not long ago. I, I haven't seen a you know quantity of box breaks, but I, I did see someone on Blowout has already pulled one of the tray diamond cards, so I will be watching that just kind of out of curiosity. As far as the eight autos per box, uh, a big perk of those is that they are all signed on card. Now, so hopefully this doesn't mean a lot of redemptions, but this is one of the reasons that this product comes out at the end of the year in the first place. That's why we're getting in a month into the next season. It, it gives Panini plenty of time to track these guys down and get these cards signed. Um, there are also a number of memorabilia cards in this release. We've got horizontal patch autos. We've got championship tags, laundry tags, logo man autos. Someone crunched some of the numbers online, and it looks like you're going to get either a championship tag or a logo man, about one in about every 20 boxes. On top of that, I also saw that there were 761 total Luca and Trey Young cards, meaning you can get one in about every six boxes. If you're really into the numbers, I, I figure that um, if they don't already, 130point.com will have all of those kind of sorted for you to where it's easier to look at. Um, it should be fairly soon. They're usually pretty quick with that. I, I really like that website. Um, so, you know, go and check that out if, you, if you'd like. Those of you that know me, you know that I love flawless jumbo patches from past years. Um, and in the past, a lot of those, you know, they've had um, silver, red, gold, emerald, and blue parallels. That's the, the foil, at least, 
For the most part, the numbering has been 25, 15, 10, 5, and 1. Some players don't have all of those parallels. Um, offhand, I know that Wilt's silver patches last year were numbered to 19 instead of 25. He didn't have the emerald or the red. Um, at least I don't think he did. Maybe he did have the emerald. Um, I know Ron Harper didn't have the red. So it just varies according to player and what all materials Panini has on hand and, and wants to use. This year, from what I've seen, the silvers are numbered to 20 instead of 25. And it's hard to tell without seeing one in person, but I feel like the patch windows have gotten a little smaller as well. Um, personally, I really enjoyed last year. There were five pacers in the set, in the, the jumbo patch set. I pursued those pretty hard. I, I've shown some of them off online. I need to do like a group picture though on, on my Wax Museum profile. I've kind of been um, keeping that under wraps, but at, at some point I am going to show them off, maybe see if I can track down some more. I've tried several times to get my hands on one of the wilts with no luck. Well, this year there are no Pacers Jumbos and no wilts, so I will be staying away and chasing some of the immaculate stuff I was looking for anyway. Um, that That's not to say that, you know, this isn't, going to be a quality product take a look at the checklist um, you know see for yourself kind of see what you want something else that's worth mentioning before I I stop talking about flawless is is that um, the the sell sheet and the checklist said that collectors can also look forward to the first game worn jersey cards for the 1819 NBA rookie class so um you know, even though National Treasures is firmly established as the RPA to own, there are people out there that prefer Flawless because it does contain game-worn relics as opposed to player-worn materials. So if that's something you value, collect what you like, prioritize what you like. If you want game-worn stuff, then go after these. Don't let other people tell you what's better, what the true RPA is. You don't always have to let the market dictate what you like. And I can assure you that there are plenty of people out there that value these because of the price point of the box to begin with, and then also the fact that they're game-worn relics. So these are not going to be worthless if you want to you know, buy these and if you want something that you feel is going to hold its value. Okay, um, so there you have it. That was the end of an exciting, action-packed 2018-2019 basketball card release calendar. I hope you enjoyed some of the information I prepared for you today. You know, maybe it brought back some good memories. Maybe there are some sets that you missed out on that you want to go back and kind of research and maybe try and open while that product is still out there. You know, maybe this gets you excited for some of the stuff that's coming in the new year. Uh, before we get there, though, I want to hear from you. What were your favorite products from this past year? What were your best polls? Um, what products surprised you? What products let you down? Let me know on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast, or my Twitter, which is at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.